1: Hello everybody! It's exactly eight o'clock on a Wednesday evening, UK time, <laughs> live from Thrapster. I'm very excited there that we're spot on time. Normally, I say it's just after, but it's spot on tonight. <laughs> it is. Excuse me. It is midweek motorsport series fifteen, episode two. Uh, up in London is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Oh, maybe he's not there he's ghosting me alright uh, on a pack. hello pro- John oh there we are satellite oh, to
2: myself, do I need to be a bit loud or I actually need to switch it on that's yes well
1: that you see we're just getting back into the new year on a pack programme tonight we have
2: uh, it's so packed we only have three of the usual features <laughs> right okay which are big interview yep. news and still to come
1: <laughs> and everything else we're packing in uh, later in the first hour we'll have an update on the Birmingham wheels saga I know that's parochially UK but it's very important for motorsport venues uh, everywhere uh, we've been working hard this afternoon to get some comment after a council meeting yesterday evening all of that in the first hour tonight uh, we promised you Creelsey last week we'll have him in hour two spoke to him yesterday about the rapidly filling driver roster for the 2020 Molly Bathurst Twelve hours in a couple of weeks' time, and there's much more excitement uh, about all of that. Share Adam will be with us with a US update. We'll be talking IMSA and IndyCar, and of course, it wouldn't be a show without Nick Damon for his Formula One roundup as well. Hello to Kevin Payne. He's listening on the podcast. He's up in London this week watching uh, Frank Skinner. Uh, Matt Endine is EFA as well. Off to a work function at the House of Parliament. But I'll catch up uh, on the way to Brands uh, on Saturday. There's a stage rally there. Fantastic stuff. Brody finishing touches being put to a 1967 split-screen camper van. So no AFAs from him. I'm very envious there. Uh, Dad duties tonight for Jet. Mid-year assessment prep for Master. Uh, Daly Wilds maths test tomorrow. Tomorrow. Relishing the podcast. Sorry, was that
2: mid-year or mid-year assessment?
1: Mid, mid-year. Yeah, mid-year assessment. Um, relishing the podcast on the train down to York in the morning. Is it correct to say down when going away from London? Uh, yes. Yes, you
2: go down to York if you're currently in London.
1: Yes, absolutely. Right, hello to Carol Brink, to Chris Suku. Uh, long and tiring day in Italy. So AFA is catching up on the podcast, might be able to sneak in a bit, but we'll seek some sustenance at some point. Michael Denny, another week, another Beamer, another trip down the M4, but the same great midweek motorsport show to accompany me. Evening all, uh, less rain than Dubai, please, he says. Yeah, quite right. Hello, Sarah Rigby. Hope the recovery's going well, Sarah. Uh, Pat show with local uh, new boys. Uh, from Bentley. That's in the second half of the show tonight. Off to wash the dishes quickly, she says. Uh, Kevin Poulton's in tonight. Jules uh, Outerbridge as well. No AFS for him. Two weeks running. Mark him present. Ted the Toyman will uh saving up the podcast for the 12 hour, Bathurst 12 hour road trip. Warming up the wireless receiver for Right Turn Lover for his first midweek Motorsport of the Year. Brendan Sawyer listening in. Victor Ellis listening live uh, as he's preparing to fly to Kansas uh, to bury his dad. Colonel Vic Ellis, USAF, retired. A lifelong gearhead who taught him to drive any 63 Beetle, 69 Mercedes, whilst they were stationed in the 80s and helped him buy his first car, 85 GTI. What a fella he was. Victor, our condolences uh, to you. Celebrate the fella, won't you? Because it sounds like he was an absolute cracking bloke. Uh, Preston Brook- Buckley is listening live for the first time. Alan Prosser uh, is in as well. So is Mar- uh, Marco Baronsvard and David Bruce. Let's play the jingle and get into the top story.
0: All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsports.
1: And if you want to get in touch with us, by the way, it is at Specutainment uh, on Twitter the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective or the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective on Facebook as well. I'll keep an eye on that. Tim, where are we starting tonight?
2: Well, let's introduce uh, Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent.
3: Evening, everybody.
2: Because we're going to start with Formula One.
3: Hooray!
1: He's, he's get, that, that's not a great connection tonight. That's not a great
2: connection. And it's getting worse. Uh, okay, let's change that. Let's bring in Shay Adam. Good evening, Shay.
1: Hello, what? everyone. <laughs> You've been usurped because of your bandwidth, mate. You just you just okay. haven't got the bandwidth. I've got a brand new thing. It's working
4: really well. I'll do a speed test and prove it's not my fault.
2: Uh, Shay?
5: <laughs> yes, Tim?
2: If uh, I was to offer you some money, would you say yes?
5: Depends what I have to do to get it.
2: <laughs> well, the condition is you have to share it with some of your neighbours.
5: Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that because most of them are old, so that's fine.
1: <laughs> and old people
5: I'll, I'll are more just appreciative right of money.
1: The deal, that I'll get it back. Yeah, she'll get it back soon rather than later. <laughs> I think is what you're saying. Wait till the next time I go to her house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, I to offer, if I were to offer, if I
2: were to offer, if I were to offer the money to your neighbours shade on the basis that they also had to share it with all of their neighbours, including you, do you think they'd uh, agree to that?
5: No, probably
2: not. No. They'd want to share
1: it with their grandchildren, wouldn't they?
5: Yeah, exactly.
2: So, if I was talking about half a billion US dollars Ooh. shared between approximately 180,000 people in the Fort Lauderdale area and approximately 450,000 uh, people in the Miami area.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: You don't, but on the condition that everyone agreed to share, you don't think they'd all go for that.
1: How much does that work out each? Uh,
2: about uh, $1,000, just under. Uh,
5: I I don't think that'll be enough to convince people to have the Formula One race down here.
2: <laughs> you see, Bryce Waterhouse Cooper <laughs> have uh, done a report on the, uh, assess- on the Im- impact of the Baku Grand Prix. And uh, to the city of Baku, it has been worth 506.3 million U.S. dollars. How much, mm. Tim? 506.3 million dollars. Mm.
5: That's what it's worth to the city, but that's not saying that the actual population would genuinely be handed a check for $1,000. That That would benefit... Well, the people putting the race on and, and local business owners, to hotels, a
2: point. restaurants, transportation yeah. services.
5: But as I've been saying for what now, six, nine months, um, the the hotels and the restaurants that would be frequented are not those in the Miami Springs or Miami Gardens area. They're all down on South Beach.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> True enough.
5: Hello, Dick. And, and directly <laughs> see that actually because the Super Bowl is going to be held in Miami at the stadium. And you'll be able to see the impact of the Super Bowl on Miami proper, not the area around the stadium.
2: Yes. I mean, there's also construction and uh, manufacturing uh, industries that would benefit from uh, having to build that uh, circuit. Um, And 40% of the money that Baku got was from construction, was uh, benefiting the construction manufacturing industries. So. Mm. So we'll see. Uh, so this is a uh, new report commissioned by Bacup City Council and uh, done by Price mm, Um
1: I, I don't know. I don't know about any of that. To be honest, uh, you can you can look at that. And as Shea rightly says, the benefit might not go in the places that you expect. Hello, Stephen Lloyd is just back from his birthday mail or your birthday mail. Listening in. Uh, and to Jesse, and the crotch belt is tuned in as well. And Sarah Rigby's back from doing the dishes. Uh, Where would you like to go next, Tim? I'd like to go to Tel Aviv. Oh, yes, please do. Oh, that's better, Nick. Is it?
7: Yes, Yes. much
4: better. It's a reconnection with you, wasn't it?
6: Yep.
2: Uh, So there was a press conference in Tel Aviv this morning, wasn't there, Nick?
4: Oh, there was. Just when you think Team Awful... Williams. Williams can't get any more awful. They find this bigger gun, and they shoot it further into their foot. What have they done? Well, you know how uh, Minardi needed lots of money?
2: It wasn't Minardi. No, no. Oh, okay, you're not talking about him, you're talking about generally.
4: Generally. I'm talking about, it was him actually, but you know how Minardi needed lots of money? Uh, So they would, like, rent their cars out to whoever could give them some cash, because they had no money, and they were rubbish. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Um... That's not really the way a team coming back from their worst season would 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 uh, they'd handle it. Now, brilliantly, uh, they have decided to to um, sign up as their test and reserve driver, the stunning, the super, the unbelievably talented Roy Nissany. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, this is the Roy Nissany. Just to remind you, listeners, perennial F2 uh, driver. No, one year F2 with one point, then couldn't drive last year, he was injured. He actually went and did the test at Abu Dhabi a few weeks ago. He was uh, 4.4 seconds slower than George Russell on the first day, and then 3.9 seconds than Nicholas Latifi on the second day. So he's actually categorically rubbish. Um, He's a race winner in
2: uh, World Series by not Renault, 3.5 V86. He
4: is rubbish. Anybody who has half any half decent, you could have taken fifty drivers who are running at Dubai when they dried out, and they would have got within two seconds. Getting within two seconds is not difficult. It's that says last two or three seconds. That's where the real difference comes. Yeah, agreed. And and so basically, yeah. Patrick Lemary, who was one of the worst drivers ever, was in two seconds of Jacques Villeneuve. So let's let's not forget that. So so, what, so he's, he's been signed up as, as, as Williams' yeah. test driver. Yeah, yeah. and the brilliant thing is, there's been an article written saying, Williams explains the factors behind Nissany test driver decision. And they've made out it's because he's a really, really good team player. When we know it's because he's a really, really good check signer. Uh, so or, or somebody he, is. Well, it's dad, isn't it? Uh, so when he when he is doing these three tests, these three practice ones, some Israeli firm will be on the car. I mean, I just if you haven't got any money and you need to sell the space, say we haven't got any money, we need to sell the space. Don't come out with some C and B story that just makes you look even more pathetic than before, Claire Williams. Honestly, they, they, tip- just when you think they can't get any more absolutely embarrassingly awful. Nope, found the level below. <laughs> uh,
3: I think N- will N- we'll do from three
2: formula, uh, three uh, free practice one sessions, right. one rookie test day, and a number of simulator sessions at the factory. they will also spend time integrating within all departments throughout the year,
1: <sighs> and Look, wearing a nice t-shirt and Fine. a set of cans.
2: I'm thrilled it's to like become the, official test driver for Rocket Williams Racing, said Roy Nessany. Uh, this is also a landmark for motorsport in Israel. When I tested for the team in Abu Dhabi in December, I instantly felt comfortable in the car slow. and part of the team. The experience I'll gain this year immersing myself with Williams will prove invaluable, and I'm looking forward to getting started both on and off the track.
4: Not surprise he was comfortable in the car. He was doing about nine miles an hour. I'd be comfortable with the speed he was going.
2: Claire Williams added, it's a pleasure to welcome Roy. I should
4: have this job. I'd be proud about in my birthplace, of of my, my
2: name. Roy I'm demonstrated sorry. his capabilities driving in the post-season Abu Dhabi test last no, year. He,
4: exactly, exactly, Claire. He demonstrated it.
2: We were extremely impressed with what he could do in a short space of time. He's hardworking, and we're excited to be working with him this year.
1: Okay, I think we can. I think we've done that one. Let's move on. Uh,
2: his dad, of course, uh, once tested for Jordan. Uh, in exchange for a lot of money, yeah. according to uh, former Jordan team principal, Ian Phillips.
1: Okay. it's it, as, as Nick says, and I don't disagree with him, I have no problem with people taking money, particularly when they need money, and you always need money, because that's why it's called money, but at, at least have the you-know-what to... To front up to it. You in the Midweek Motorsport Series 15, would you believe? Episodes 2. Uh, we're talking Formula 1 at the moment with Nick Damon uh, in, right in the centre of the carbon fibre triangle. And Shea Adam is over in Fort Lauderdale uh, in the US. Where next, Tim, who's up in London?
2: Who thinks that Lance Stroll has a lot of potential?
1: His dad.
5: His dad. Uh,
2: it's be- very close. <laughs> His mum? No. Uh,
5: His Omar sat now for-
2: Correct. Oh. Yes. For those of you who can't hear, Shay, Otmar Schaffnauer is what she said.
1: Everybody heard her. Okay. I heard her. Yeah. James, uh, by the way, has just tweeted in, I'd your team and say, mm, so not a Nissany fan then, RC <laughs> Racing. I don't think it's whether he's a fan or not. He's not a fan of, of how it's been presented. I think it's fair to say. Um, uh, right, so why does... Uh, why does... Um, what does
2: Oscar Chef now think he's got potential? Because Osmar. Oscar Os- my- Chef now wants to keep his job as head of Racing Point, doesn't he? Uh,
1: yes. Yeah. Oh yes, of course. Because course, his dad owns the company. <laughs> <laughs> Lance- sure. No, hang on.
4: Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll is a very good racer. The problem is he's a rubbish qualifier, and F1 is quite a lot about qualifying
1: these nowadays. So- yeah.
4: Um, he, I've said this before. He'd be a fantastic endurance driver because he's very, he's a very solid driver in all conditions. He doesn't make many mistakes, doesn't, doesn't crash it often. But of course, you start 11 places behind your teammate, you're not going to end up in front of him.
1: Oh, it's going to be very difficult um, unless you do some really freaky strategy that peers off, and that seldom happens. All right, uh, Stroll is good. Says man employed by Stroll. His dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you. I, I, I don't think I needed to say that. Stroll is good by, <laughs> says man who's employed by Stroll. Okay, yeah. Yes. Moving on.
2: Uh, what does Charles Leclerc want to do?
4: Um, Appear in the stage show of Hello low.
2: No. Tis I.
4: I'd love to see him in that, That'd though. would be fantastic. Is there a stage show? Of course I saw it. I saw the stage show in the West End. Wow. 1989, 1990, I think.
2: Was it musical or not? No, no? It
4: was just a it was, a it was a no, just a play comedy.
2: Uh, he said, "I want to try MotoGP." Did he? But I'm not oh, sure really? Ferrari will let me.
4: Well, they had the hump. Yeah. skydive this week, didn't they?
2: Yeah, he said he's not going to do that again.
4: <laughs> he told not to. He also said, "I, I don't think he enjoyed um, it." He also said this Sweden He said, reason, he said that "I'm never going to crash into Sebastian Vettel again." I thought, "Was well, you kind of speaking for two people there?" And yes. Sebastian Vettel very keen on crashing into you.
2: Indeed. <laughs> uh, what else uh, is he showing interest in?
4: Um, earning lots of money, being Ferrari's number one.
2: Rallying. Yes.
4: Oh, really? Yeah. Just want to, to like him.
2: Well, well, if Ferrari aren't going to let him get on a MotoGP bike. Uh, despite their close association with Ducati. Uh,
1: can I just say Robert Capita?
2: Can I say <laughs> Valtteri Bottas and Kimi Raikkonen?
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: Admittedly, okay. they're finished, Raikkonen which is do- different.
5: Yeah.
4: And Raikkonen was doing it when he was in between <laughs> gigs.
2: Good point.
5: He also raced NASCAR trucks.
2: Yes. So did Jack Villeneuve, though.
5: Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Hey,
1: any more Formula One? And we do a bit of tweet each before we move Uh,
2: on. Yes, which uh, Formula One car is going to be terrible according to reports? Williams. No.
1: Mm. No, No, they're already having a go at the Ferrari. Says who's having a go at the Ferrari? Not
2: Ferrari Ferrari. engineers. (laughs) Oh, really? Ferrari engineers are having a go at Ferrari designers for a car that uh, doesn't live up to what they want.
4: This is the, the syndrome of Giseta de la Sport and Coriolis so it's called, having to fill a page a day, at least not two pages a day, with Ferrari stories. You know, they begin to just, you know, some bloke comes out of his lunch chair and they go, hey, how's it going? And he goes, man, that's so bad, not so good today. All right, car's rubbish. And it could be anything. It could be, you know, his, it could be his dog's been sticking his shoes or something, but they, they've decided that the car's terrible. Mm. Um, I would take it with the uh, the largest pinches of salt, possibly even a
2: salt mountain of salt. Okay. Uh, I've just realised, say Adam, I forgot to say Happy New Year.
5: Yeah, Happy New Year, Tim. And happy birthday, Sue. Ah, uh, thanks, pretending that didn't happen. Wow, uh, 30, <laughs>
1: 35 isn't that big of a birthday, so don't worry about it. No. I'll be there soon. But you're 40. Oh, don't. No, that's, an, that's,
5: that's rude. coming up.
1: That's just rude. Uh, hello to uh, Jean Chauvet, He says Stroll senior to buy Aston Martin. Any news there? He, he's talking to. Isn't he talking to Geely and Lotus? Or is he already involved with Geely and and Lotus? Uh, And there's some suggestion that uh, there might be a tie-up there uh, as well between Aston Martin. But Aston Martin are already owned by um, a different private equity area of uh, the world. Uh, So so that one. Uh, Keep the tweets coming in. i expect your and uh, you're listening to Midweek Sports Series 15, Episode 2. Uh, anything else, Tim?
2: Uh, one more Formula 1 story. Excellent. Uh, Lewis Hamilton has been yes. nominated for Laureate Sportsman of the Year.
1: Oh, it
4: yep. was, I think I were going to go Lewis Hamilton, Action Hero. Uh,
2: also nominated, Mark Marquez.
4: Really? Oh, Rafa right.
2: Nadal, Tiger Woods, Eliud Kipchoge and uh, Lionel It'll Messi. He'll
1: win it. He'll win it, the guy did the two hour marathon or win? I think, Tiger it wasn't Woods. A real marathon. I think Tiger Woods is in with a good chance because of the you know so called comeback of all time.
2: Well, there is a separate mm. comeback award. Ah, is there? And there's a motorsport representative in that as well. Johnny Rear? Sophia Flerch. Oh, yeah, all right. Now, you told me I wasn't allowed to talk about uh, the Formula Regional European Championship, but that's where she made her comeback this year mm. with Van Amersfoort Racing.
4: After the big sure. accident. Hang on, surely a bigger comeback this year was um,
2: um, Kibica's. Mm. Possibly. Although he didn't have a lot of success with his comeback, did he? No. Yeah,
4: but she, she just came back from a crash. Hundreds of drivers come back from a crash. That, that she is... broke her back. It's positive discrimination because, I'm sorry, a number of race have broken their backs and come back and started racing again. They have literally gone, oh, fantastic, we can put a girl in the awards. Because, I'm sorry, but the most impressive or most remarkable comeback of the year was Robert Cabezza coming back to F1 with one arm. Sorry, they've just literally played the whole the whole woke card there. Uh,
2: team of the Year nominated Mercedes F1. It's their sixth consecutive nomination. Oh, they won, uh, yeah. They won it in 2018 Renault won it in 2006 And Braun in
1: 2010 Okay Keep an eye on that Is that in Monaco again? uh, It's
2: usually in Switzerland Isn't it? Oh is
1: it? Right Um, See if we get an invitation I was invited last year (laughs) You've got to get yourself there though Haven't you? Exactly (laughs) They're not not
2: flying me Across Europe No And putting me in a Posh hotel Or anything like that Are we moving on? We are uh, to something much closer than Switzerland. Uh, uh, Birmingham.
1: Yes, Birmingham. We've been talking over the last couple of shows uh, towards the end of the previous uh, series in December about the fate of Birmingham wheels. You'll remember we had Johnny Palmer on uh, talking about this. And uh, basically last night there was a council meeting Uh, to decide the fate of Birmingham Wales. This is a 40 year uh, project to bring motorsport into Birmingham and to make it available uh, to people perhaps who wouldn't be able normally to get onto carts. Uh, There's also uh, an oval track there as well. Uh, We'll we'll talk about what happened at the council meeting in a moment but to put what's been going on in perspective I spoke earlier on this afternoon to Philip Bond, who is uh, the MD of Motor Racing Live, who's one of the companies that use Birmingham uh, Wales And, and I I'll put it to him as we started our conversation on the phone that this has been an incredible 40 year project.
6: It was a, a great idea where you are mixing up uh, clubs and charities with businesses and uh, operating on the same site. And one kind of subsidising the other, the business is, um, you know, making uh, well paying rent to the charity that ran the overall uh, uh, park, and it worked very well. It's a good idea, and uh, in those days, going back 40 years, uh, it was definitely something absolutely brand new. The actual uh, park is thriving, and there are thousands of people who come come to the park every year. Uh, to watch stock car racing to take part in stock car racing to uh to do karting a uh, lovely outdoor karting uh circuits, and a roller skating anything with wheels it happens at the Birmingham wheels park
1: the land that it's on it's not exactly top quality and the original mm. leases were given i think for 120 years weren't
6: they that's correct absolutely uh, spot on it's 120 and and, and Although the charity started, there were some years when they were just there trying to uh, adapt the site because, as you say, it was a very derelict site um, with contamination and all that kind of thing. And, and the, the charity that was running it was sorting sorting the site out and they were so successful that uh, eventually the council decided don't forget the council were involved in the charity yes. like they own the charity together with the probation service in that t- at that time um they uh, they gave them a uh, 120 year lease and i think it was finally signed in uh, 1998 right. uh, that's when they, so so they got it the security of a 120 year lease which is great it was really good when the lease was first given to the council uh, by the council to the charity, it was for 120 years. But it had a five-year; um, it had to be reviewed every five years. Right. And because the council were running the charity and their di- the directors of the charity were all from the council, uh, when the first review came up in 2003, that's five years after it was first uh, issued. Um, they decided because up till then. They had paid an amount of money, a rent, if you like, to the council, that the charity did. Immediately, the council paid that back to the charity. As, 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 a, as a
1: donation, effectively.
6: A donation. Now, they did, so they said, they were sitting around saying, there's no point in reviewing the rent and going to the expense of finding out, you know, the, uh, what it is. We will uh, we'll just keep the rent the same. So then it went on to 2008, that's five years later, and they did exactly the same thing. At okay. then. And it was minuted. 2013, that's the next review, mm-hmm. uh, that they, they were looking at it and they were going to do exactly the same. Uh, but at that time, there was uh, another department within the council that wanted the site back. And they couldn't get it back because it had got a 120-year lease. That was uh, the property services, I think. So they wanted the site back uh, because there was a master plan for Birmingham and they wanted to redevelop the site and put uh, factories on, units on it. Mm-hmm. So that's when the problems started. They had the bright idea of bankrupting the charity. <laughs> they backdated the, um, uh, the rent. When they, you know, they didn't they didn't review, so they could backdate it to the original date of two thousand and three, and it came to six hundred and fifty thousand
1: pounds, seven hundred, nearly eight hundred thousand, of yeah. arrears. Now, how That's, how much yeah. of that then, um, yeah. was historic, if you like, before the policy change came into effect?
6: Well, the policy, cha- if you like to say the policy changed in 2013, but it took about another two or three years for them to decide how much back rent was to be paid. Uh, then they, they said, right, this is the amount, which is 650,000. From that day, they then, because it wasn't paid, they knew they couldn't pay it because charities don't have any money. They, they don't have a lot of that money. So they, they, uh, they then started to charge interest on that money uh, and backdated. Oh. And, and that's now, I think it's something like £175 a day. Uh, and it's still going now up until the end of this month.
1: Philip, to the, to the best of your knowledge, though, the rent that's been due since 2013, has that been paid by, by the tenants and the charity?
6: The tenants have got nothing to do with that at all. The tenants have always paid on time, right the way through, right from 40 years ago, we've paid the rent To the charity. They've always had it. It's got no, there's no connection between what's going on now and the tenants. The tenants, uh, well, we can't be called tenants. We're licensees. Yes. We have always paid our rent on time to the charity. No problem at all, because all we want now is for uh, the licensees who are not involved in this dispute at all. Um we, we all we want is to remain there because they are saying or they did say uh, about six weeks ago, they said you have got to vacate the site on the 31st of January. On Sunday evening, I sent an email off to them with our proposal, which would be for to allow us to stay there for another year so we can sort all this out. Because yes. you've got to remember and you you touched on it just earlier there. Um, you've got to remember that they they cannot get rid of a sporting facility they have to either offer us alternative location and um uh and where the facilities will be as good as or better than the facilities we've already got at birmingham or incorporate us in any new development which would mean leave us on site and uh, develop around us the birmingham wheels site is is been uh they they're they're going to be building um uh, factory units there they're not going to be building uh, houses because it, it is contaminated land but they will still have to decontaminate it for for the for the factory units but probably not to the same degree as if it was housing Um, So they're not going to be doing housing there, but they want to do things. But it's decontaminated because originally it was a brickworks years, many years ago. So they've dug, you know, the whole thing has been dug out out for making bricks. And after that, it was like a rubbish dump. They've filled the holes in with landfill for that. Um, And also there's all kinds of contamination there that that nobody really knows what is there because it was an unofficial uh, landfill site uh so the, the, they have done they've done various uh, tests there and the estimates for decontamination are between 20 and uh 40 million pounds
1: and will that need to be done then before the site is redeveloped
6: absolutely it's got to be yeah wow it's got to be but it, it's it's all right for what the use we have um the site and the parts of the site we we're on but the whole site has got to be uh, decontaminated before de- developers can uh, build on it.
1: Yeah, it'll be a question of how far they want to dig down to put founds in and things like that. And once you get below yep. a certain amount, um, and then we're talking about days long before uh, landfill and, and dumping was as regulated uh, as it is mm-hmm. now. Where's the way forward here? Well, the
6: way forward is to um, consolidate our amenities uh, um, on um, 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 on site. Really, that is the, that's the best way because it so it makes so much sense. If if they really locate us and build us the same elsewhere, it's going to cost millions of pounds. I mean, uh, just for a, a stock car track uh, with all that's there, that's going to be you know a minimum of two million pounds. So why not you know use what is there? and and build an industrial estate around there hopefully related to the motor industry um and and you've got a test track there you know to be used by any companies that come in there and and it just makes so much sense that's the way forward and i've got two developers that are interested in doing just that Mm -hmm. but uh, the the council they haven't been over helpful they have kept using the the the, the fact that they are not land, our landlords, they're the mm-hmm. landlords of the charity, so they're not allowed to speak to us or negotiate with us right. until such time as the charity is uh, put out of business, which is going to be on the 31st of January. Um, but that's too late. If they, they say they want vacant possession, which means that we were going to move all our equipment and cars and everything off-site Uh, strictly, you know, by the letter of the law. But uh, they could be negotiating with us so that we could get back there on the 1st of February. But they won't talk to us. They won't talk to us. I don't think the land in itself, because of the contamination, is worth that much money. But what they want to do, and and this is to be applauded, they're trying to find, um, uh, well, they want to regenerate the area and um and this is part of trying to get 3000 more jobs uh, it's they keep saying about 3000 more jobs every time they're asked about Birmingham wheels park but the the, the 3000 job, jobs are not on the park they're on the whole of the area action plan which is much bigger than the park so the the uh, the 3000 jobs they're trying to create a, a proportion of those will be on, on the site. So that's what they're trying to do and you've got you know that it is a, a pretty kind of derelict kind of area of Birmingham it needs to have a good action plan and they've got a good action plan. It's just the fact that they are not appreciating how uh how much Birmingham Wheels Park um how it creates such a lot of people uh coming to the park mm. and, uh, and, and and having a great time. I mean, it's a super, absolutely super facility. We are willing to bring the amount of the the, uh, the park, which is 40 acres, over 40 acres. Um, I would imagine we would be taking uh, less than 15% of that area mm-hmm. for what we are proposing. And that would incorporate the um, uh, karting track, uh, karting circuits, the uh, skating circuit for the uh, speed skating and the um, oval, the, okay. the, the the stock car track.
1: That was uh, Philip Bond speaking to me earlier today. He's the man behind uh, Motor Racing Live, one of the uh, one of the businesses that uses Birmingham wheels. So just a couple of points from him um, talking about how much of the ...area action plan uh, that is Birmingham Wales. It's 16 hectares out of 580 hectares. Uh, I tried to get a comment from someone at a Birmingham City Council... ...from the ruling Labour Party group. Spoke to the press office. They were very helpful but weren't prepared to put anybody up for an interview. But they did answer some questions to me personally... ...although they didn't want to be recorded. And we have got a statement which we'll come to in a moment. However... Uh, We did get uh, an interview uh, with uh, the Conservative group uh, from the Council.
3: My name's Councillor Robert Alden and I'm leader of the Conservative group on Birmingham City Council. It's 200 people who work on the site and obviously hundreds of others involved in businesses connected to the thousands of drivers that, that use the site regularly. And we've been fighting hard to support them in their campaign to try and be able to remain on the site while Birmingham City Council finds some alternative locations. Uh, And yesterday's council meeting discussed exactly that, Um, and we're hoping that the council have now signed up to working with them to find alternative arrangements. Um, But as we said in the meeting, the council administration have just left a little wiggle room in there that that we're pressing on them to make sure they they don't use, because we need to keep them operating, um, because they would be a real loss to the community. It would seem to me, though, the
1: people who are caught in the middle of this are the licensees and there's no suggestion i don't think councillor that any of the licensees have done anything wrong and they don't owe any money at
3: all i i think you're right and that's certainly the, the impression we've been given um and what we're talking about here is is a wholly owned council uh, charity at a council that was set up by the council 40 years ago so it's a, a dispute amongst um the council and a charity set up by the council um ridiculously uh, and as you say the affected people here are the licensees and we've got to make sure that actually they're able to continue doing their good work for the community. That That's turned around hundreds if not thousands of young people's lives over the years. The the, the wheel site itself is part of
1: a, a greater project. Uh, we see and hear from uh, the council about the potential of 3,000 jobs which is fantastic but that's on the site as a whole. Uh, the Birmingham Wheels site is a, is a small proportion of that, maybe an eighth or a tenth of that. Is there no way that this site could continue to operate within the boundaries of the redevelopment plan for the area?
3: Well, absolutely, and this is the point we made to the council chamber yesterday. Um, the wheels themselves have actually said they could survive on a smaller site than they've currently got. But they've put forward an alternative to the council about being able to use a much smaller site um, section of the site than currently used so it makes sense the council really must actually investigate this properly and see if they can find a way of keeping them there and if they can't keep them there they've got to relocate them and the key is not shutting them down in between because obviously once you shut them down they're not going to be able to to restart in a new location Um, and as you say it makes sense there is space there we should be trying to keep them on that site. This is a sporting venue. I don't believe local councils can take
1: away sporting venues without offering facilities that are at least of, of the same stature.
3: Well, that's um, what the Birmingham Development Plan that was agreed by the council says, that if they're going to remove it, they've got to provide them with alternative locations. Um, and what we've been concerned all the way along is that by fudging the issue with, with using the charity trust in the middle, um, there's a risk that they, they try and shut them down without shutting them down themselves by doing it sort of at arm's length Uh, and that's why we were putting forward our amendment yesterday being very clear that the council have got to work with the licensees to keep them going and keep this valuable community asset alive
1: how does this look in terms of the optics to use a current word when what we're hearing from Birmingham, and rightly so, is how proud they are for the 2022 Commonwealth Games and the potential of a sporting legacy that that will create within Birmingham and the Midlands more generally, when a 40-year-old asset that has literally changed the area and changed people's lives, because this was... This was not a top quality piece of land when Wheels moved in there. It is under threat in this way.
3: Absolutely, and it sums up the real contradiction Birmingham City Council has done with the Commonwealth Games because, as you say, they're removing assets like this, they're removing public open space and playing fields across the city. Uh, up where I'm a councillor in Erdington, they want to build on the local playing fields. And this kind of destruction of community assets just shows that they've got no plan for a long-term legacy after the Commonwealth Games.
1: I'm old enough to remember the Birmingham Super Prix, which was a fantastic showcase for the city. There was a change in, in the governance of the local council and motorsport wasn't at the top of that party's a political agenda. Is that what we're seeing here?
3: Well, you've talked through the timescale and the timescales tie in with when the council administration changed and as we've seen this week with the council announcing they want to ban private cars coming into the city, what we have here is a Labour council who are anti-car Um, and it's really sadly not a surprise to see them being anti-car sports as well. But where's the infrastructure plan to to fill that gap, Councillor? Quite, and this is the major flaw in their transport plan, that they they aren't actually going to be building any alternative public transport arrangements to allow people in. And when you talk about wanting to um, save the environment, which is absolutely vital, they're doing this, which will ban electric cars. Electric cars are going to help improve our air quality, and yet they're banning them as well.
1: What's the way forward for Birmingham, Wales, if we drag it back to the, to the issue at hand? The 31st of January is not that far away.
3: Well, the first thing the council has got to do is, is actually do what it says in that statement, and it said at the council meeting yesterday it would do, which is genuinely work with the licensees to help them be able to remain there past the end of the month and then work out a sustainable future for them. They've made certain promises they've got to keep to them now. Is there a way forward for the the licensees? Even if the wheels charity itself
1: can't continue, can the licensees in some way, shape or form keep the facility open?
3: They absolutely can. The council have just got to be fair with them because if the council are fair, then this great community asset can continue. A community asset that I'm led to believe is not losing money.
1: Uh,
2: John... Uh. Hath the council then accepted that the site is a sporting um, a sporting venue and therefore should be protected it's
1: a good question Tim uh, in all of my questions to the PR team at Birmingham Council and all the research that I've done um, that that has been Those words have been avoided. What the Birmingham Development Plan, what you heard called there the AAP, says is the importance of these facilities is recognised and the AAP, Area Action Plan that is, will need to support their continued operation through equivalent or better quantity and quality replacement provision elsewhere and or consolidation on site in conjunction with any redevelopment of the wheel site. And that is what the licensees and the... Uh, Conservative group are pushing for. That was reiterated last night at the council meeting. By the way, there's a great turnout from Safe Birmingham, Wales there, uh, including the speed skaters and everybody else outside the council offices. Uh, and,
2: and when we talk about speed skating, we're talking about inline skating, not correct. ice skating here, aren't we?
1: Correct, but it, it's used as a training facility for for um, for ice speed skating as well. And it's one of the few places that there is in the country to do that. And you heard Councillor Alden there talking about a bit of wiggle room um, given by the, the council last night about having the site cleared, and whether that can be implemented or not.
2: Uh,
1: so we've got
2: until uh, January the 31st at the moment as uh, uh, as the. Uh deadline, mm-hmm. um, is any other land or uh, venue being identified as a replacement?
1: I asked that specific question uh, I, I spoke to a couple of people at the PR uh, uh, department of Birmingham Council and they were very good and they asked me to fire them some questions in written, which I did, and I asked that uh, that specific question um, and the answer is uh, to be decided, and I was promised an answer uh, in due course. Uh, they couldn't understand the, uh, if I'm honest, they couldn't understand the uh, the reason for us wanting this this evening, uh, despite the fact that this was last night, um, that these decisions were made and we've got a live programme tonight. But they were good enough to say that they would come back to us. Um, they, we have got a short statement as well. Um, which says the decision to reclaim the Birmingham Wheels site in Bordesley Green follows a court case over non-payment of nearly 800000 rent by Birmingham Wheels Limited, which leases the facility from the city council. On the 19th of November, that was 2018, uh, 2019, excuse me, the county court in Birmingham ordered Birmingham Wheels Limited to give vacant possession to, of the site on the 31. Of 31 January, a date which they suggested and agreed to, resulting in this court order being made. This follows a long running dispute over rent to be paid under the lease which the operator had signed which was subject to review in July 2015 and independent arbitration that found in the authority's favour in February 2017. As part of the public consultation over the area action plan which includes Birmingham Wales site, the Operation The operator and their tenants were given and took the opportunity to comment at various stages. The site has the potential to uh, deliver up to a million uh, square feet uh, of employment uh, space and uh, for 3,000 jobs and training targeting at the local community, agreed that the licensees, either individually or collectively, if they put forward appropriate proposals around their relocation, and this included a need to remain on site beyond 31 January in the short term, then they would consider this. Uh, the, there, There is one more point about this. You, you, you heard there, um, them talking about Birmingham, Wales Limited, and subsequently the follow-up that I got as well um, was that Birmingham Wales Limited is a private company limited by guarantee, which is registered as a charity. The council doesn't own or control BWL, which is a private company with its own assets, but the council is the freehold owner of the site. Um, I think there's some confusion about what that means and whether it's a charity or it isn't a charity. Um, For those that don't know, a private company limited by guarantee is often a... requirement, particularly by local government, uh, if they're going to award grants to a company. And basically what it is, is it's a not-for-profit company, it runs as a charity, it still has directors and officials, but being limited by guarantee, which is normally a pound, means that none of those directors, who quite often are unpaid and or volunteers, are then liable for any issues Uh, or um, debts that that charity runs up. There's still a lot of questions to be answered here, and the good people at Birmingham Council PR Department are going to chase some of them up for me, and we need to get to the bottom of where the original £650,000 debt came from and how that has been accruing, In the last few years since 2013 and why in 2013 at the review was it decided by the incoming administration to reverse the decision that all rents would be given back as effectively a donation and then to backdate that and put that as a debt on on the operator of the site lots still to talk about on that and have you say on at specutainment as well we'll keep our eyes on that thanks very much to those who took part and to birmingham city council's pr department for coming back to me so quickly today
2: uh let's move on shay adam's still with us hello uh in florida uh something else has been going on in florida this week and that's a bit of indycar testing
5: Yes, up at Sebring International Raceway. Uh, Chevrolet has been up there running around with multiple cars. Four cars were running. um, But it's the exciting thing of who was piloting those cars. Renus VK was in the ECR Chevy. He was the fastest driver on this one particular day. Oliver Askew was second for Aero Schmidt-Peterson. And in third was a driver who um, doesn't have a lot of open-wheel experience, but he sure had a lot of Indy 500 and Champions staring him on. That would be Scotty McLaughlin getting to drive a Penske car for the first time ever. His time got down to just over a second slower than the fastest time on the day, but we don't really know what people were going for or what the context of it was, so don't read too much into that. But cheering on Scotty were just Newgarden, Will Power, Simon Pagano rick mears it was a, a pretty good turnout of people to to let the young kiwi have a go uh
2: and plenty of support um for um the other driver you just mentioned not vk um Oliver Oliver Askew. Askew, uh, getting support from people like dale not jr
5: <laughs> not too shabby is it no, it was, it was a pretty big uh, to-do for a test day in particular. It's still going on today. Sage Karam, I know, is up there running around. He was the slowest driver of the four on that particular day for uh, Dreyer Reinhold Racing. So there are multiple cars up there right now trying to make this off-season a little bit shorter for IndyCar. Uh,
2: meanwhile, at Indianapolis, they've announced a new race on the uh, road course for NASCAR Xfinity Series.
5: And just to put this into context with how cool this is, it's going to be taking place on the the Brickyard 400 weekend. So things going along is status quo. But they're going to run on the infield for the Xfinity series on the oval for the main series. So you're going to have cars going in both directions at various points in different sessions around the track with a 90-minute break in between the two when they go out and run so that the track can be reconfigured for the alternate course. But yes, they announced it today. It's got a name way too long. I think if I started saying it now, I would finish sometime in February. Um, But they are interested not only in this race, but installing lights around the circuit. That's the other big story coming out Mm. of Indianapolis. And that's something that the captain actually mentioned when he initially purchased IndyCar and IMS as a whole, It's something that people are reading into a little bit too much at this point, honestly, because it's about progress, and you're making the Speedway usable more of the year. You're you're making it a more viable product. Look, for example, at Homestead. You can race under the lights. You can race under the sun. You've got options. For the Indy 500, they need to be done by a certain point in time because the sun goes down. Well, if you have the option of lights— Maybe it elongates a window if you have a rain delay or something. So it's just smart, smart business.
2: Rain delay is quite common at uh, (laughs) Indy 500. Uh, Although not the year that I went, it was uh, really hot and sunny. Beautiful. Uh, (laughs) Well, before we leave IndyCar, uh, Ben Hanley back at Dragon Speed this year. That was announced uh, day before yesterday.
5: Yep, at the very least for the St. Petersburg round, he'll be doing that race. Uh, He did quite a few. Last year, I believe it was, uh, for Dragon Speed, but ultimately not a full season. This year, it's looking like a stronger program, and we'll see if they do manage to put together a full season, but I'm not holding my breath quite yet.
2: And that brings us nicely onto sports cars, because Ben Hanley's also racing for Dragon Speed in the European Le Mans series, and today they announced his teammates would be Mimo Rojas and Ryan Cullen.
5: And he's also racing for Dragon Speed at the 24 Hours of Daytona. That
2: is also true. Yeah. Uh, And the entry list is out today.
5: They are, uh, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing announced that we weren't expecting. Uh, I am still waiting on a couple more things to drop into place. 39 cars for the Rolex 24 hours. We have yet to find out who the other two drivers in one prototype that you're interested in, in particular, Tim, the one with Jonathan Huggard. um, their two co-drivers, James Davison and Mark Kwame, who ran at the roar will not be participating in the race. Mm. That car only turned 40 laps total during the roar, suffered rear-end damage at the hands of Davison, and then didn't turn a wheel the rest of the weekend. Uh, It was a really... Big learning experience for the Rick Ware racing team, but they're still waiting to announce their other two drivers for the race. Uh, As far as that goes, we're waiting on PPM, the Lamborghini, to give us their other two drivers, and particular for Sarah Rigby. We're waiting for Aston Martin Racing to see if they could find a valuable, in the terms of financial, silver or bronze (laughs) driver who wants to bring some budget.
1: I can can give them a bronze that has absolutely no uh, financial clout whatsoever.
5: And I think the car would just continue sitting in the garage then, John. Hate to say.
1: <laughs> and this is, and in case you didn't catch this, because we're going back uh, a little while, this is because Paul De La Lana suffered a, a, a minor injury whilst he was skiing, but enough to keep him out of the car. He will be back for his WAC commitments by the time he gets to Kota in uh, the end of February or the middle of February. Yeah, correct. Three and weeks he... later, isn't it? Yes, but yeah. it's a tw- hey, Tim. It's a 24-hour race, and you're putting a lot of stress on. Well, we haven't found out what the injury is, but I'm presuming it's either uh, a wrist or an ankle or something like that. You put a lot of stress on your body around Daytona for 24 hours. It's not. It's you know. It's not like you're getting shit around at Sebring. Absolutely. But still, I'm not sure. I would. I, I'm not sure. I'd want to go to any 24-hour race not feeling 100. percent
2: And you're not even no, a racing I'm- driver.
5: <laughs> and Oliver Gavin actually said that Daytona is physically harder than Le Mans because of the G-forces on the banking and whatnot. And when your minimum drive time is four and a half hours, that's, that's a long a time point. for Paul to be in the car. I think, lot, lot I think, by
1: the way, Tim, darkness this, at Daytona as well, isn't there? 13 hours and 21 minutes it'll be this year. Yes. Um, I think that this that I'm holding in my hand says I am a racing driver because that's my FIA 2020 license. <laughs>
0: Uh,
5: What does the grass look like at
2: Daytona at the moment?
5: What does what, sorry?
2: The grass look like.
5: Uh, It was lovely and green and manicured, and um, there was some sort of a flag on the start-finish, if memory serves.
2: Uh, They've now cut the number 500 into it already, ready for uh, the start of the NASCAR season. Really? Yes.
5: Right around the corner. They did have ARCA testing there last week, so they are already doing all the photo shoots and all that. Uh, so
2: that, I presume, that's I I spotted it on an Arca photo shoot. I,
1: I presume, oh. then, they haven't yet painted the grass as they will do. It's always one of the things that getting there early in the week I enjoy. I've got quite a few pictures from various years, depending on which end they've started. It either says day <laughs> or una uh, on them. <laughs> uh, and from our IMSA radio broadcast booth, it's a great spot to sit there and watch the guy's uh, doing that i remember particularly the, the 50th year they, they did a particular grass cut and a and a display in there as well so i'll be interested to see how they managed to get the daytona logo into the grass if they've already cut the 500 into it although they might let yeah. that, gr- i suppose they might let that might have been a practice for the arca shoot and they'll they'll let that grow out and they'll recut it for for the rolex Possibly, that
5: wouldn't. would make sense.
2: How, how quickly will grass grow in Florida in January? Very quickly, really. very,
5: very quickly.
1: <laughs> it's like when you cut your hair with the clippers, and the guard slips off, and you cut a swoosh into your hair by accident, and you think, "Oh my goodness, that's going to be there for ages." Actually, in about a week, it's grown out, and it all looks the same length. So I've been told.
5: Yeah, no personal experience with that, <laughs> no John. <laughs> Can't, couldn't
1: possibly see it uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport five minutes to nine in the UK thanks for your tweets about Birmingham Wales there is if you are so inclined a Facebook page and there is a uh, if you got the Facebook page there is a link to the petition as well to sign uh, as well uh, hello to Alexander Orkin uh, who has been for a big Shush meeting, followed by a long overdue supper with family friends. Uh, just tuning in now. What have I missed? Well, you better listen uh, later on. Rob Chalmers uh, is a little late too. Busy cooking a fake burger with fake cheese and fake bacon for my darling other half. And it smells weird. I no way know where to talk but about the other half. <laughs> uh, I think you're in trouble there, uh, to uh, be honest. Uh, what have we got before nine o'clock, Tim? What has
2: uh, Ferdinand Habsburg been up to recently?
5: Ooh.
1: Ooh. This is the flying... Is he 76? Is that his number?
5: He's Habsburg.
1: Yes. He is, he's got a particular number because of the House of Habsburg. Uh, the last time I saw him, he was doing single-seater stuff, and he wasn't doing badly, you know, all, all, honestly.
2: Uh, he's been doing his military
1: service. Oh. Oh. I did know this, actually. I did know this. Uh, this, uh, uh, it's... Um, Statutory, isn't it? Was it? Is it two weeks? He's had to do. Uh,
2: yes, or a month. I can't remember.
1: Mm. Well, it's good to do it at this time of the year because it hasn't affected his racing.
2: Absolutely, uh, and he even managed to post a photo of uh, him and uh, some of his colleagues in the barracks in their full uniform, which I'm not convinced uh, he was allowed to post. But there you go.
1: <laughs> really? Mm. Okay. Moving on.
2: Uh, Anything else from you, Shay, I was imza just gonna, I, I was
1: just going to ask about Imza, Shay, before we move on from that. Um, other than the ones, the obvious ones you mentioned, are there any other big announcements that are yet to be made? We've seen some great livery announcements, uh, some of which came out of the Raw. We saw this week for the first time the uh, Team TGM Camaro uh, livery, oh, which is a yes. chrome blue colour. For their two cars, uh, and the and- other
5: one is gunmetal gray, John. Right, okay. in chrome. Oh, chrome, gunmetal gray.
1: I like yes, it already. Yes, awesome. Uh, is there anything else that we're missing in terms of big announcements where we might drop another big name into into the field?
5: Um, in terms of big names, no, nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. Michelin Pilot Challenge. We do still have some pretty flagrant question marks (laughs) Uh, the entry list has come out and Corey Lewis and Sheena Monk who drove a Mercedes at the roar are now listed in a McLaren for the actual uh, four-hour contest at Daytona there's a question also on the entry list next to some of the manufacturers that teams have listed their drivers but not the manufacturer so that will be something to keep an eye on for sure Um, And and, I mean, just in in terms of car mix up, we had the announcement at Daytona of Brian Hurd Autosport running a third Hyundai for the season. But the other thing that was sort of swept under the rug is the fact that our champions are now split into two different cars. Mark Wilkins sharing with Harry Gottsacker and then Mikey Lewis sharing with Mason Felipe. So that's going to be a big difference. Atlanta Speedworks is back. I'm, I'm still honestly, John, I'm expecting two, maybe even three teams to come in and add themselves to this entry list that they aren't on here yet. But we've got 49 cars listed for Michelin Pilot Challenge for the wow. BMW Endurance Challenge at Daytona right now. That will be above 50.
1: Yeah, I think so. And any any more cars? Because it's a, it's a small but perfectly formed field for weather tech, but we haven't got any of the sort of wild, or not that many of the wild-card one-off type of entries that sometimes we see.
5: Well, you had to run at the Roar in order to be eligible to run at the Rolex, which Uh, is why we saw that Aston Martin go out and actually turn some lap. Yeah, good point. Exactly. Um, So there there isn't anything super unexpected, and I'm sure we'll get into it a lot more next week when we're overlooking the grass at the Daytona infield. Um, But just some interesting games that went on. For example, the Lamborghinis showed up. There were five of them running in GTD. And four of them were running with an illegal gear ratio in their cars, so that's why they had their times disallowed in qualifying. Well, the, the, it wasn't
1: that. illegal; it was the it was the homologated IMSA gear yes. ratios, but but not the homologated Daytona IMSA gear ratios. Oh, yes. So
5: they um, missed the memo.
1: Yes, they um, did.
5: Paul Miller Racing was the only one that ran with the correct gear ratios, so they were allowed to keep their qualifying. But Grasser, with all three of their cars and the PPM Lamborghini, all moved to the back of the qualifying results. And by the way, Grasser, the number 11 car, had a huge crash in the infield, wrote the car off, and they had to get a backup chassis from Paul Miller. That car is currently being built in the Star Workshop, what, 10 miles north of my house. So that's going to be a completely new car.
1: Uh, And next week, as Shea says, we will be running Midweek Motorsport out of the IMSA broadcast booth, overlooking the start-finish line at Daytona International Speedway as part of our build-up to the 2020 Rolex 24 hours of Daytona.
0: Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour.
1: Uh, We've got another packed 60 minutes of Midweek Motorsport Series 15 Episode two, more of your tweets, please, at Spec, team, A lot of support for Birmingham wheels coming in uh, on that. Creelsey spoke to him yesterday uh, early on and got his take on a an entry list that is frankly mouth-watering for the 2020 Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hours, which we'll be covering live here uh, in sound and vision, of course, on the RSL Network of Channels. Uh, but next up, we had new Aston Martin drivers last week. We're staying with Great British Brands for our big interview uh, this week. Kicking the new year off in style, we're going Mid-week Bentley.
0: Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com
1: So we promised last week that we... Uh, actually, no, it was uh, during the... the Creventic two by 24 hours, the Hancock two by 24 hours that we get some uh, Bentley, a Bentley driver on the show this week. Well, we've done one better than that. Thanks uh, to the lovely uh, Bex. Uh, Not one, but two. Seb Morris will come to you in a moment. Brand new for Bentley. But let's first of all, welcome to the show and say Happy New Year to Jordan Pepper.
8: Happy New Year to you too. Yeah, Uh, always good to to chat with you guys It's obviously my first time. I follow intriguingly when I'm when I'm watching all the races over in the states. Obviously, when you're doing the European stuff, I'm too busy racing, so I can't follow. But yeah, okay, cool to chat with you.
1: And good to have you on as well, uh, Jordan. Um, going into your third season with with Bentley Motorsport. Now you've you, you've done the you've done the ladder system really um, with a. Uh, customer team, works team. What does what does twenty twenty have in? S- first of all, congratulations on 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 being um, confirmed again. What does twenty twenty have in store for you?
8: Yeah, obviously, like you mentioned, uh, done done the lab system. Um, uh, I switched my my first year in GT was was in an Audi with with App Sportsline, as you as you know, really established team uh, with Audi as a brand and. Uh, they they had this um, cool thing come up. A uh, B- Bentley approached them to to take over one of the the customer racing programs back then with the first generation car, and also to do the the factory Nurburgring races. And it was one of those one of those um, off seasons where I wasn't quite sure what was going on. whether I continue with Audi and work my way there, or and then I got approached and asked if I want to join Bentley and. To me, it was an immediate excitement, and I joined the first year, obviously, just as a as a customer driver, driving with a with an AM driver, which was really good. And then made my way into doing the the factory Nürburgring program, still with them. And yeah, twenty eighteen signed as a fully fledged uh, factory driver, um, which was amazing. And like you mentioned, now we fast track forward three years down the line, again confirmed for twenty twenty to be with Bentley. It's it's a super exciting chapter. You know, we we're making a a new step as a brand and we venturing into a lot more new things, which is, is exciting and cool to see how in the motorsport times, how the brand is growing. So yeah, Mm. super exciting, obviously confirmed at the moment for intercontinental GT challenge with M sport and then joining K-Pax, who's coming over from the, the States to, to Europe to take on the best in GT world challenge Europe. And yeah, that, that really, really motivates me to do something great with the brand.
1: And you mentioned there the the slight change of emphasis for for M Sport. Yes, they're going to do some some racing, but much more focused on car development and testing, which allows the the works drivers like yourself to to go out to teams like K Packs, and that's a, that's just a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, exactly.
8: At the end of the day, you you got to walk before you can run, and I think M Sport over the the last. Period since since the inception of Bentley into racing, have done that exactly. You know they they built a really really good car first time round. Um, repeated it with with the Gen Two car. Everyone knows it. It goes as good as it looks, and it's by far the best looking car on the grid, if, if I say so myself. <laughs> and I think it's it's about time now that the the brand, like I mentioned, we we're taking a step into. Like better pastures in terms of customer racing, which I think it's all about at the end of the day. The the factory is focusing on the factory racing. Um, we're doing the IGTC, which is, if you look across the grid, all factories are involved there, and that's it, just factory drivers. For sure, you've got that Pro-Am and Am entries, but the top 20 cars are all factory drivers, yes. factory teams, all manufacturer backing, which is exactly what we're doing now this year, and we, we've got a lot of with the testing bans in GT World Challenge Europe, it didn't allow us to do much last year. But now that we not, M-Sport's not attached to that championship, we, we got a lot of planned testing and development, which is which is super awesome to be involved in. That's adding to our busy schedules, which is always nice as a driver. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, joining k they proved to be a really successful team with the Bentley in America. And yeah, I think everyone needs to watch out when they come to Europe because they they're not going to hold anything back. And a great team. I've briefly met them um, with uh, Jim Hughes in charge of well owns the team and Darren Law, who's who's in charge of it, is a great bunch of guys. I think true to American motorsport, they they just they hard races, which I think is is something that's that's going to be great to be involved in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely true. Just before I, I come to you, Seb, I just want to pick up on one thing that you that you, you mentioned there, Jordan. If I may, and, and and it's it's key. So, M Sport not competing in the European Championship puts that team outside of it, so they can concentrate and do more testing days, as as you've mentioned. Uh, that, that's actually really quite clever. But there are going to be yeah, listeners exactly. who who are seeing. But hang on a second, this is a balance of performance category GT three the world over. So what's the point in developing the car? You can't really make it go, you know, four seconds quicker than the rest of the the rest of the cars and the manufacturers. So what are you doing to the car to to try and improve it? Are you trying to make it more drivable? You're trying to make it more resilient? Um, what 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 goes on there?
8: I think you have
1: gotta look at three three
8: main factors. Of course there's Pure performance as you're looking at all these championships now, and you see it, you've seen it in the past in, in GTLM and GTE, um, how close the level was, you know, in qualifying, it was mm. a couple of hundredths, whatever. You, you're rocking up to these races now that we're doing, and like I mentioned, there's so many factory drivers there that when you go out and qualifying and there's top 10 shootouts to be made, there is top 20 at Spark. If you are not within three tenths of the pace, you are like we had it this year. We were outside the top twenty. Yeah, balance of performance is a key part in the way you manage that for sure. And unfortunately, we got it hit a bit hard at the wrong, wrong time in 2019. But it's in the past, and mm-hmm. I think for sure you got to work on you got to work on finding those small details to gain a tenth or two, to be better on the tires, to be better in terms of reliability, because you you never want to run into any issues. Uh, Drivability is a really important factor as well, because with the program expanding, you're getting more AM drivers into the car. You want the car to be as easy and as fast to be for them. So it's a balance between speed and and drivability. And yeah, I think that that allows us to spend more quality time on just that instead of just spending time on pure performance.
1: Well, make sure you um, you tell Malcolm and the guys at M Sport if, if they want a fifty-something old bloke who's not in great shape to give the car <laughs> to give the car a try and make sure that all your hard work isn't going to waste. Then I've still got my National C FIA license and I can easily get that upgraded to <laughs> yeah, a B. So I'll I'll come and test we'll all give your. Give you a ring for sure. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Uh, Seb, congratulations, Seb Morris. Welcome to the Bentley. Uh, works family, you, you're following a a pretty wo- well trodden path. Vanson, Abril, uh, Jordan have come through from Works teams, uh, having had success there as you have uh, with the brand. Uh, part of the uh, of, of six factory drivers now part of the Bentley family. How are you feeling about it?
9: Yeah, I feel I feel very good. Um, it's nice to chat to you again. Um, it's uh, it's been a, been a good and fast rise up. To be honest, I mean only. Um, less than four years ago was my first uh, test in a Bentley, and that, and now I'm here. So, it's uh, it's it's proved you know for me and, and, and my journey that you know if you get in there with a with a customer team, you you do get part of the fa- family pretty quickly, to be honest. And uh, I got in there with Team Parker. Um, I'd just come out of a year in GP3, which was um, pretty trying. It was a tough year, and I got a call from Stuart Parker asking would I like to come and do British GT, and we'd ran out of funding, to be honest, to get to Formula One. You know, you know the money. Um, it was it's ridiculous. Um, so when I got that call, I took it very seriously. Did a couple of tests, and then first race we have up at Brands Hatch against you know the world's best, and we stuck it on pole by nearly half a second. So I, I knew then I'd made the right choice. Uh,
1: was it a hard decision uh, in the first place too? And I, I won't say give up on, but to change your focus from single seater to what in the past, and I stress in the past, might have been seen as oh, JT racing. It is; it's all blocks racing. It's you know, it's big, heavy cars. It's not. Mm, I mean, you're, you're only what you're still only what twenty four now. So you, you had yeah. to make that. You had to make that decision whilst you were you were still very early on in your career. Was that a difficult choice to make? Um, yeah,
9: in ways it was. I'd only just turned twenty. Um, I've been very much on the F one dream. Um, you know, to put it into context uh a year before i had to make the decision i, I just topped the abu dhabi test in gp3 uh, with you know there's a few drivers in f1 now and you know i i knew i was good enough i knew i had the talent and I you I had the speed um and you know i was consider myself ready to take you know just keep on taking the next steps and we had an investor in for about four and a half million quid it would have you know it would have got me nicely into f1 um <laughs> you know the, the, the investor pulled out and you know what can you do and you know my parents have put everything into. it. I mean, we sold, we sold the house, we sold the cars, we, we did everything, and you know, I never have to be able to thank them enough. But um, to be honest, you know, I, we we could have cobbled together enough money to do GP three again the following year, and maybe it might be different. But you know, we was with a back running team. You know, in GP three, you've got to pay the big bucks to get the to get the top seats. So,
1: Seb, I'm, Seb, I'm, what, do like, you know, what, do a, what do you offer? What do you offer? What do you offer an investor? who's going to put four and a half million quid into you what what can you possibly offer them i mean what a kidney uh you know I, 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 it's, <laughs> it's an extraordinary amount of money because quite clearly until and unless you get to formula 1 and we've kind of strayed off the track here but i find this fascinating until and unless you get to formula 1 and even if you do get to formula 1 there's no there's no guarantee that there's going to be the big books coming there's no guarantee that there's going to be yeah, yeah. the ability to attract big sponsors because there just isn't the exposure. So you, you have somebody preparing to write a cheque for four and a half million quid, dollars, whatever. What, do you, what are you offering them?
6: Well,
9: they, they get a percentage of your future earnings, basically. Um, and, you know, what, but the reason they they pulled that was, through, you know, through no no fault of their own. It, just, it was circumstance at the time. And it was just timing, you know. Yeah. And had the timing been right, it might be different. But I'm very happy sat here, you know, being able to call myself a true Bentley boy, and i've earned this you know and then the nice thing about gt racing is is that i you know i've done it for two or three years uh, as a customer i bought sponsorship uh, you know and then progressed to getting a free drive and, and now a factory driver it's been a nice transition and it's happened because of how hard i've worked and my talent alone that's why i've mm-hmm. been picked and it, it's nice because you know as you said even though if you get to f1 there's people still paying when they're there so you know it's not like that in gt racing if you are a factory driver you know, you've been picked on your on your talent numbers, many other things, your speed and everything like that. So it's it's nice. It's nice to be sat here now, to be honest, having worked for it.
1: Uh, and I've said this before to a number of people and, and on interview before when people say to me, ah, yeah, but, you know, it's only GT, it's only sports cars, it's only it's only. What I always say and, you know, you're going to find this out and Jordan already has found this out. If you're a works driver, and I'm sure Andy Murray, who I know you've worked with in the past, and say hi to Andy next time, um, you speak to him for me, won't you? Um, uh, We've talked about this in the past on the show. If you get to be a works driver, you're the top of the tree. It doesn't matter whether that is a works driver in a Toyota LMP1 car at Le Mans, whether it's a Ferrari driver in Formula One, whether it's a... You know, a whatever in rallying, Hyundai a driver in rallying or touring cars, or a Bentley driver in GT. You're the top of the tree at that point, and you've and you yeah, exactly. you said you've earned it. You have earned it, and and you've got a certain standard to keep up as well. There, haven't you?
9: Yeah, exactly. As as you said, I'd I'd love to find out the stat of how many works drivers there are in the world. I think you'd be shocked to be less than a couple of hundred. You know, yeah. and and if you do the stats
8: on that, yeah, I think it's. You know, not something i think it's definitely below three two yeah to or it, you know you,
9: you are you know if you work it out against the population of the world you know you're in a very elite circle and, and it's nice to be there but as you said you know now's the time for me to prove myself and, and step up and get up to speed really quick you know i'm going to, to bathurst in a couple of weeks never even seen the place you know and, I, and that's expected of me now to go there and get straight up to pace you know no no messing around um you know and i'm you know i wouldn't i wouldn't have signed if i didn't think i could do it so it should be
1: all right I mean, that's a fabulous challenge you've got as, you've, as your first time in competitive, a competitive situation, pulling on a set of works Bentley overalls, yeah. uh, a, a car that is a massive fan favourite on the mountain, uh, an event that is quite honestly like no other because it's still yeah. the only place I know that starts in the dark but has no darkness qualifying or practice. So if you're the <laughs> starting driver and you've never been there before, you'll have never seen the place in the dark, which is an extraordinary thing to see. Um, and, a, yeah. and, a, and a track that in parts is like a straight circuit, in parts is like a, what they might call a normal road circuit, and is part, in parts is like nothing else in the world. I mean, that's a challenge for you, Seb. I know, but I'm
9: immensely looking forward to it. I'm so excited. I've, I've watched, I've watched all all the replays of, of most of the races and, and things like that. And uh, I've, uh, you know, I've I can see the atmosphere, I can see the crowd, and I can see how much all the drivers want it. And you know, and how immensely competitive it is. You know, in mm-hmm. the fact that in the last half an hour, you know, there's five, six, seven cars within three or four seconds. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And I'm looking forward to playing my part in that.
1: Uh, i 'll tell you now nothing can prepare you for the first time, even at nope. at you know sixty kilometers an hour, which is the the normal speed rim- limit round there and Please remember the first time you drive around down your hire car if it 's open it 's too weird, so you could quite well. <laughs> Going up, up the cutting, you could quite well meet a bin lorry coming the other way, which is what happened the first time I, I drove up there which blew me my Or a bus coming the opposite direction. Um, take the opportunity to walk round it, get on the bus tour that they'll, they'll put on for the new drivers but nothing will prepare you for Mount Panorama and I don't believe that it's a bit like the Nürburgring Nordschleife. Yeah. I don't think that However many laps you ever do, and it, it, it ever you can ever take it for granted, that place—it's just an extraordinary place. Jordan, what 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 is Seb going to have to learn quickly? What is he was he going to find difficult? What is he going to find easy about being a Bentley boy?
8: To be honest, yeah, I think Bathurst obviously last year uh, was also my first time there as well. Um, obviously, guided Bathurst before before I joined. Uh, in 2018 so that that in itself is a challenge and it's not an easy race to be your first time as a, a full factory driver but um i think seb is is more than capable you know i i made the step from being cus- customer racing uh into being a factory driver and what's nice is bentley really somehow involved their customer racing with a lot of good factory support so you the professionalism is there with with mm. Seb, and he he joined us at Spa last year at M sports So luckily he he's had his in it with the team, and obviously Suzuka as well. Um, so I think he he'll be straight on it. You know, Bathurst itself is going to be tricky. On the other hand, um, I would say it's more difficult than than Nurburgring because Nurburgring you you get to drive around, get your license first before you get in the GD3 car. Um, <laughs> so when I jumped in the GD3 car, it was actually nice and easy because you're only passing cars, not getting passed. Yes. But uh, b- Bathurst is is quite tricky. But yeah, he, he's good. I've known Seb since we were in the FIA Academy together and he's a top-class talent. And the, the two of us both joined Bentley at a similar time through the customer ranks. And it, it's cool to finally yeah, both be be teammates together, and I'm looking forward to yeah. Although he's in the other car, so a bit of rivalry mm-hmm. should be good.
1: Yeah, Seb, you've got Ollie Jarvis, good mate of ours here on this show, and a doughty competitor, along with Alex Bunkham, who we used to say was a bit of a secret weapon, but he's not that much of a secret anymore. Everybody knows how fast no. <laughs> Alex is now. John, you've got Max Sule and Gilles Goon on uh, with you, Seb. That's a couple of decent teammates there uh, to uh, to get to get your first experience with
9: yeah it's it, it's amazing for me because i've got two guys there that have got immense amounts of experience at every track that we're going to um and they've got experience in everything you know how to work with the team and i'm going to be interested in looking at the way they set up a car and you know how we can start working together and to be honest what i'm going to be doing this year is i'm going to be obviously going as fast as i can but i'm going to be doing a lot of sitting back and learning especially from my, my two you. teammates teammates in my car because i've got to respect the amount they've accomplished in their careers and uh and it's going to be really nice for me to, to you know, be be able to be on the, hip, you know, in a sanctum and and learn, you know, how they've got to where they've got to. Um, so it's going to be really nice for me this year to learn from those two guys.
1: Seb, congratulations! It's been a, it's Thank been a, a journey that we've watched with interest uh, over the the last sort of seven or eight years now. Uh, really, certainly taking a, a keener interest in the last five. You've worked hard for this. You absolutely deserve it. Um, you, you're in the right place for you now. Uh, Jordan, continued good luck and success to you. Uh, we'll see you down at Bathurst in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, dri- drive safely and enjoy that race, particularly you, Seb. You only get to go to these Thank places what, for the first time once. So enjoy it. Take it all in. Take plenty of pictures and just breathe it in a couple of times. If you can find a yeah. couple of minutes for yourself, take it. Guys, thanks very much. Best of luck. And the best of luck to everybody Thank at M Sport and Bentley too.
8: Thank, you, John. thank, thank you. you, thank
1: you, thanks, John. Cheers, guys. Good stuff. Uh, and whilst we're on the uh, on the uh, subject of Bathurst, we promised you last week when we were in Dubai that we'd get Krillzy on board to give us a wee bit of an update, a bit of a pre-preview. And spoke to him yesterday. The big news, of course, Craig Lowndes back at the mountain. We kind of expected that, but he's in a Porsche. I suggested to Krillzy. When I started off the call,
7: that lousy is just collecting manufacturer's overalls. I think so. He, you know, he's, he's ticked all of the boxes at Bathurst. Seven-time winner of the Great Race in October. He's won the 12-hour twice. He's had more podium finishes in endurance racing at Mount Panorama than any other driver. And he's been on the podium there for Audi and Ferrari. And now he'd like to do it in a Porsche. I mean, why wouldn't you? If you, if you don't have endurance racing success in a Porsche at least once in your career, does it make it a career? Well, probably does, but it certainly helps have Porsche on there, doesn't it? So, yeah, we're, we're very, very excited. Uh, Craig, Craig Lowndes is a genuine ticket seller. Putting him on your entry list brings people through the gate. The fact that he's doing it in an Earl Bamber Motorsport Porsche, the number one car, it's the defending champion team, and the fact he's doing it with Earl Bamber and Lawrence Vanthor is just extraordinary, and it, it makes it one of the tastiest combinations. And I'm prone to hyperbole every now and then, as you know. <laughs> but it makes it one of the tastiest combinations I think we've ever had in terms of mixing the local legend with two of the very best GT slash sports car drivers in the world right now in a very, very good car and a Porsche that we know is always competitive at Mount Panorama no matter what iteration. That is just, it's a fantastic combo. I'm very, very excited about it.
1: Uh, And you mentioned it, no matter what, in in no matter what iteration, and we should, we should say straight away, there's going to be a lot of new cars that we haven't Mm. seen before at the Liqui Moly Bathurst 12 hours uh, on the 31st of January to the 2nd of February. So a month away, less than a month (laughs) uh, away. Uh, And uh, that's because of the the unique way in which the homologation works. So a lot of cars that people will have been familiar with through various GT3 competitions in IMSA and further afield last year now get to see the mountain for the first time. And I presume that GT3R is the new car then, is it?
7: Yep, correct. Well, last year's race, the the 2019 victory for Porsche, that famous drive for Matt Campbell at the end of the race, that was the swan song for the, the Gen 1 992 GT3R. So this is the first time we see the current spec car down under so that will be the first one uh, mclaren 720s first time we've seen that car mm. racing at mount panorama they they shook down those cars at um at the challenge bathurst event in november last year and they were pretty happy with that and i was speaking with one of the drivers um that will steer one of those cars last weekend it will remain nameless because they haven't actually been announced yet but he was pretty <laughs> confident with um we're pretty confident with uh, how those things will go. Uh, new Aston Martin. Mm. Uh, we'll see them here for the first time. and I think that'll big be competitive, that. I do. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and, of course, what what kicked all of this off was the first major driver announcement we had was our Motorsport and their Castrol back car with Rick Kelly, uh, Jake Dennis, and old Scott Dixon, who's a, a young Kiwi guy I understand is going to go far. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is another just only at Bathurst kind of combination that, um, racing gigs like I just trip over every time. It's amazing.
1: Uh, Jake Dennis was such a superstar at Bathurst last yeah. year. Our Sport big partnership with Aston Martin. Rick Kelly needs no introduction. And as you say, Scott Dixon, who has proved to be, and, and, and we heard uh, even last week on the first big interview of the, of the new series, Richard Westbrook confirmed as an Aston Martin driver for Le Mans. He was saying how... Uh, Scott uh, Dixon, he worked with them at Ford, of course, uh, and Chip Ganassi, Mm. he's he's the ultimate plug-and-play driver. He comes in as the third or fourth driver and just gets on with his job. When you might think that a guy in his position, Creelsey, would be a bit, well, I don't want the blue M&Ms, thanks very much, and I will have a new set of tyres, and he's not that at all, of course.
7: No, but he's a Kiwi, and as as you know, with Kiwis, they're just the most relaxed, laid-back people in the world. They're fantastic, and we love them, so that's it's just so cool. And and this we talk about it every year, don't we, that um, the 12-hour such a melting pot of these professional teams coming with these works, GT drivers that drive for these brands all around the world, and then you get guys like Dixon coming into the race, you get guys like Craig Lowndes, and there's this amazing mixture of talent and, and this race more than any other. And I, I don't know what the defining feature of that is, but it just seems to create these amazing combinations. Now, I was running through the entry list, and there's a few names that I've got on, on the master copy that haven't been announced yet. We'll let the teams do their job and, and get all that out. But there are 21 cars in the professional class, and I'm looking through all of the rosters, and I don't see one of them that you go no nah, i don't think that's going to be a shot and then you look at pro-am and every single one of the pro-am entries has at least one driver that could quite easily throw a car in the top 10 shootout and be right in the mix and even the 7m or the silver class cars that are in the gt 3 grid a lot of those have got a driver that could quite easily pull a lap out and get themselves in the shootout and be competitive. So this field is going to be one of the most impressive GT3 fields we've ever seen down under, if not the most impressive. The other thing we should talk about is that we're finally going to get a Honda NSX at this race for the first time in the history of the Bathurst 12 hour, which is very exciting. Uh, uh, Yes. And, I, I know that's been on the
1: cards for a little while. Very nearly happened last year, but Honda Racing mm. Jazz bringing that car for Dane Cameron and Renger van der Zander and Mario Farnbach are all names that our IMSA fans will be very well Uh, familiarised with Bentley come back as well with two very 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 good squads including Ollie Jarvis now as a Bentley uh, driver as well Um, we'll do a proper rundown when you and I walk up and down the pit lane uh, and the week of of the race and we'll know a few more names in there but as you say the even what we know right now is mouth-watering the other thing, yeah. that I, I, the point I want to take up on with you, and I agree with you on this, which doesn't make necessarily good broadcasting, but the <laughs> gaps between Pro and Am now are mm. actually getting closer. Clearly, the very best of the Pros will always find a bit more. And in BOP'd yeah. machines, GT3 machines, because let's not forget, all of the GT3 cars are all potentially have the same performance. Uh, so, mm. so they'll ring out another one or two percent. But that's getting harder and harder to do now. And a well-committed, well-trained, fit, quote-unquote, AM driver has got Mm -hmm. just as much opportunity to do a good lap and a good series of laps and a good stint, which could mean we see an AM car well up. And we've seen this in uh, some of the Creventic races in the last uh, year and a half. And I ad- I admit straight away that you haven't necessarily got the strength in depth, particularly in the pro class, in Creventic. I, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I really do. Yeah. Uh, K- KCMG are going to bring the Nissans back uh, as well, which yeah, two, you-
7: two GDRs, and they will both have properly strong driver lineups like they did last year. So they the GDR is a car that that is always traditionally strong at Mount Panorama. It, it suits the layout. Those Nissans, they produce a lot of grunt. They've got good aero across the top, so they get out of the slow-speed stuff and drag themselves up the hill well, as we saw young uh, Katsumasa Chio do in 2015 in that remarkable drive. Still one of the most favourite moments at that place ever, amongst many, it must be said. Um, so, yeah, they're there. Um, just on the pro-am thing, you're absolutely right, but I think the ultimate example of that is David Calvert-Jones, who's mm-hmm. been on the podium in the race before mm-hmm. as a AM driver, who puts two or three other pros in his car and with smart team managers and good engineers uh, and and some rolling of the dice going their way with safety cars or whatever it might be, staying on the lead lap, you can engineer yourself as a pro-am car to be absolutely in contention. And it's pro-am in name only Mm. when you get to the final hour of the race with a pro driver in. That's a good point you're exactly the same as anybody else. It doesn't matter what's happened for the previous 11 hours. That's a good So point. You, in my mind, if they're good enough to stay on the lead lap, you add another four or five contenders from that class. So that that's what makes it so fascinating. And the other thing that's worth touching on is that Bathurst has been, I think, the best circuit for BOP that I've certainly seen in GT3 racing. For the, the fact that it's so varied, it's so... Very, very different across its 6.2Ks. You've got two long straights. So the cars with good straight line speed get some gain there. You've got high-speed aero commitment stuff across the top. So the cars with good downforce that might lack a little bit of horsepower are amazing across the top. You've got some big, heavy stops. You've got quite a long pit lane transit time. So the fuel restrictor, BOP things might play a role with pit stops. It just works that we end up with a host of different cars and different manufacturers always in the mix at this race, which is why we've had five different brands win the last five races there.
1: And why we see so many brands thinking we're in with a chance here. I'm going to go back to a couple of Porsches before we move Mm. away from the entry list per se and move into some bigger conversations about this. I had a word with Ingo Matter at... Dubai, great to see absolute racing uh, with two Porsches, 911 and 912, which tells you all about how serious that is because those are Porsche works numbers. Now, you know, that that's pretty impressive. But then you look at the drivers. So Matt yes. Campbell only wins the race last year and can't get back into the winning car. But he's given Matty Jamineer, Jam Jam, and Patrick Pele two very, very impressive works drivers. In the other car, the other car, Dirk Werner, Thomas Prining, the Austrian, who is again very highly thought of at at Porsche Motorsport, and Matteo Caroli. Ingo's coming mm. with a couple of absolute bullets there. Yeah.
7: Yeah, so they've split the winning combo up, haven't they? So Matt Campbell's in nine eleven, Dirk Werner, who won the race last year, is in nine twelve, and Earl Bamba Motorsport are back to defend their team victory with Bamba, Vanthor and Louns. Mm. So we, the the odds of defending your victory, it, depending on who you are, is actually quite high. There's three shots of a defending winner to to go around That's again. Good very very cool. Yeah, absolutely love it. the 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 big guns that haven't been announced yet are the Mercedes AMG. Teams and the AMG GT3 is always strong at Mount Panorama. We saw that last year with Grupa M. They're back again, and I I don't actually haven't seen their drivers yet, so I couldn't even hint to see who they are. uh, Triple H's been
1: fairly well trailed, though, hasn't it, Creelzie? Dare we mention
7: that? Well, it goes without saying that that Shane Van Gisbergen and and Jamie Winkup will be two of the three drivers. The third (laughs) one's not going to be Craig Lowndes like it was last year because he's in the Porsche. So the question for mine is who is alongside those two. Grupa M, I, I hope Raffaele Marchiello comes back because didn't he create Brilliant. such a massive impact on that race last year for good reasons and bad. He was fiery. He was outspoken, wasn't happy about some stuff, wasn't happy about driver standards. That's fine. We love that stuff. We want the stories to follow. But when he was behind the wheel of that bright yellow AMG GT3, he wrung the neck of it. And as a result, they are in contention for the whole motor race. So, love that. Um, 888, incidentally, will run two cars. They'll run the Pro-Am car entered by the Bend Motorsport Park, ah. which will have at least Yasser Hin as one of the drivers. Um, I believe brother Sam Shihin will also be behind the wheel. Sam's a very experienced race car driver and won the Pro-Am class in Porsche Sprint Cup here last year. Um, the other two drivers in there... We can't say who they will be, but they'll, they're pros. Uh, and they're very, very, very good pros. Will we well.
1: recognise their names as people who have, have connections with AMG, will we?
7: No, I think you'll recognise their names for several reasons, but not necessarily AMG oh, connections. Oh,
1: okay. Like it's crazy being yep. coy with me. We haven't mentioned Audi of course. And no. the, the Valvoline cars uh, are not bereft of talent either with Dries Vanto, Chris Hauser and Fred Vervis. Chris Hauser loves this race. Everybody loves this race. Chris Hauser really loves this race. They're in the two Valvoline car. Uh, and in the 22, Garth Tander, Chris Meese, he loves this race and Merkel Portolotti. Yeah, awesome.
7: <laughs> yeah, but they've gone to three cars this year. That shows you how serious Yes, good point. The triple two. Yes. Yeah. Kel- Kelvin Vandalinda, Linda. Matteo Drudy and Marcus Winklehock, who's been around that place a lot of times and he's mm. incredibly fast. They have stacked the deck there, haven't they? Yeah. So Garth Tander goes without saying. Chris Meese is the fastest ever officially around Mount Panorama. Incidentally, the second fastest ever driver around Mount Panorama officially is Garth Tander in that car mm-hmm. at Challenge Bathurst two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, bought a lot we know. He's super quick. but So it's Garth Tander and eight factory Audi drivers. Yeah, in three factory-backed Team Valvoline Audis, it's just an outrageous attack. Those those things will be super super competitive, and and it's only been a little bit of bad luck, probably in the last couple of years, that's kept them out of contention. At the end of the day, because God only knows they've been fast enough.
1: Right, I I I, I mentioned I want to touch on some other things other than just running down some names, which which I mean is as as we've said that's excitement in itself. Speaking about Valvoline there, talking about the Castrol uh, sponsorship uh, on the Aston Martin, um, talking about the different manufacturers, a record number of manufacturers in GT3, the commercial sponsorship of these teams uh, that is, mm. uh, is being showcased here, and I use that word advisably, advisedly, Creelsea. Uh, uh, again, we talk about this every year. Um, has the liquid money Bathurst 12 hours just taken another step this year.
7: Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, but it's taken steps like this for the last five years. I'd agree so, with that. I, so my, my my timeline for this event, in it, it started as a GT race. This is the 10th anniversary of this mm. race becoming what it is. It, we went GT in 2011 and, and Audi were the only ones who came from Europe, a few local cars, and it, it's built from there. 2013 was a big step because we went to 50 cars. 2014 was a massive step because of the finish we had, which was yep. Craig Lowndes in the Ferrari versus Maxi Book in the uh, SLS AMG. 2015 was the gigantic step because we proved that the race could exist without the household names here because of the, the test day clash with supercars. Good point. Um, Nissan jumped on board and backed it big time. They were rewarded with a win was the most competitive finish to a race we'd ever seen to that point for a 12-hour. Since then, it's been slightly more incremental, not less significant, but the steps have been more gradual each year. Um, full race live TV on Channel 7. Bentley turned up. That was a big tick in the box. The BMWs, Chaz Mostard on pole, put himself in the limelight you know wing cup came along in 2017 in the Ferrari that was such a good moment um, and so on and so on I think it's just that evolution that every year it's just taken another step forward and as it grows in profile as it continues to raise its status globally but also here in Australia um, yeah people are seeing value in in jumping on board and Castrol's the ultimate example that's a brand mm-hmm. with a huge long history at Bathurst and Mount Panorama nice. and, and they've got a They've got a finger in the pie in the 1,000, backing Rick Kelly's entry in that car. It'll be a Ford Mustang this year in supercars. And they wanted to continue that relationship with Rick and, and get a car in the 12-hour as well and try and win that. I, I I'm,
1: there's, there's been a few comments about the number of entries. Uh, well, So let's get that out of the way straight away. There's, yep. there's two more entries than we've seen in the past, uh, it, yep. last year. Um, however, there are far few There's far few, less variety and far fewer non-GT3 cars. GT4, which I thought would really explode um, because of the national, the potential for it to be a national championship in Australia, it just mm. hasn't captured the, the imagination and we haven't garnered the... The entries in GT4, and that to me is one of the few disappointments of this event for me, because I, I don't—I'll be honest, Krilzy—I don't want it to, to see this ever become just another GT3 single class race.
7: Yeah, look, I—I I agree with you to a point on that, and, and I—I'm my my but to your statement at the end there is that. I don't think it will ever just become another G T three race because of what it is and where it is.
1: Where it and is. And I think yeah.
7: anything anything you have at that place is special irrespective of grid size and and format. So, but I, I get what you're saying and the history of this event is based on multi-class racing and and certainly the intention for the organisers there is to continue to support that there's no drive or ulterior motive going we've got to make this a gt3 race let's get rid of these other cars that's absolutely not what is trying to happen here gt4 has not fired in australia and and part of the reason i think is that if you're coming to this race the costs of transporting a gt4 car to australia compared to a GT3 car, are exactly the same mm. because you've got to put them in a shipping container. You've yeah. got to send all the same stuff. You need a similar amount of people to run it. The running costs ultimately not incredibly dissimilar. So if you're going to run a GT4 car, you may as well just run a GT3 car mm. if you can find that bit of extra budget that it'll cost. Um, and you're in the outright class and you have a shot at, at either winning Silver Pro-Am or if you've got a gun group of drivers, you might have a crack at winning the thing overall. There's
1: not so- a GT4 national championship either in, in australia which kind of surprises me as well
7: well there is and they're running they're running a gt4 class within australian gt oh. this year and they've got a sequence of rounds right but there's just there's not the core group of cars right. here to support it strong enough either so they're, they're, they'll run within the gt3 cars in australian gt but if they put a standalone race on, I, I don't believe there's more than ten cars that would turn up and run. There's quite a few GT four cars in Australia, but they're all used for track days and drive yeah. days and yeah. consumer events. There's a bunch of McLaren five seventy GT fours here. I know there's quite a few BMWs. There's a Mustang, but they're used for they're used for fun, amusing days. And the people that own them don't want to race them and aren't interested in racing them. How how's, so,
1: how's Aussie GT doing? Because it's it's had. Um, In some respects, it's even had a love-hate relationship with this event, but clearly, Mm. if there is a good Aussie national GT series, the potential for more and varied entries to the Liqui Molly Bathurst 12 hours is raised, and I know there's a lot of GT3s, there are some GT3s, um, that are getting quite old now and gt3 cars are getting very expensive everywhere and that normally means more expensive in australia because of the way your import laws work which is kind of another way why i'm surprised a gt4 car which is a fraction of the cost of a gt3 car to buy and it's even yeah. bit cheaper to run here in the in the rest of the world i'm, I'm kind of surprised that that hasn't taken off
7: Yeah, yeah, and to be honest, I think the organisers are as well. Mm. Um, I'm sure they thought it would have been bigger than it was. Yeah, look, Australian GT is going through a a challenging little time. It had a a really challenging year last year in terms of grid numbers. Um, The racing is still pretty good, and there were some good guys at the front. Um, But, yeah, they're they're battling for depth at the moment and and trying to work out where they're at. They've announced a really good calendar for this season um, associated with supercar, So I think the bulk of their rounds are going to be on supercar oh, events, which from a, a profile point of view is outright um, outstanding. So that's, that's very good. Um, but that's going to be a process that will take some time to grow and to rebuild the building blocks of that championship and get people on the racetrack, get the cars out of the sheds. Um, this, the 12 hour doubles is the opening round of the Australian endurance GT championship. But there are probably five or six cars in it that are going to go on and continue racing Aussie GT this year. So I I don't think it's had an enormous impact on the entry for this race, but obviously the the stronger a domestic GT category there is, the better it is for everybody because even if it's only from an awareness point of view, it's a bonus. You want people watching GT3 cars and the more people watch them, the more people are going to come along to the mountain in February.
1: Uh, and, and does supercars being involved uh, and and now being the the guys who look after liquid Moly, uh, Bathurst 12, and also now being involved with Aussie GT, does that help that move? And does that help that that growth of of just basically getting the cars out in front of people and getting people used to seeing that the, the type of racing that we love because we know what it can can deliver
7: yeah it's a visibility thing so supercars role in uh australian gt is very much we've got a program here's what the deal is for you to come and be honest um so so gt come along as a support category to the very best of my knowledge there's no arrangement for supercars to step in and run it and operate the category um they've they've got enough on their own plate with their own championship at the moment as well and i don't think that's something they're looking at i can't speak for them and we can we can chase that official line, if you like, in a couple of weeks' time yeah. when you're down this part of the world. But um, it, it's certainly an interesting story. But just being on that program, as good as the alternatives now are, and and certainly the alternatives to being on supercars are probably stronger than they've ever been in a couple of years with the ARG product and TCR and S5000, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's still the number one show in town. Best TV package, um, best attendances, huge events. Um, great calendar so from a visibility standpoint it is still the place to be and to go motor racing if you want eyeballs on your product so it can only be positive for gt to be on there even if it comes with its own different challenges like scheduling and transport and things like that but um yeah look it's a topic we could dedicate an entire two hours to if we needed to is in in the the ebbs and flows of GT racing in this part of the world. It's, it's the same everywhere. I think it's magnified in Australia
1: because of, you know, just simply where you are and mm. the vagaries of how much taxes people have to pay on even bringing racing cars into the country, which I, I think is something that a lot of people further afield don't really, really understand. Um, just, I, I just want to finish off on, on, on one other point about the event itself. And I think a plus point, um, I, I don't want people to think I'm, I'm being negative about all the GT3 cars. I'm not at yeah. all. Um, I, I, my my worry for this race is, you know, Spa is a fantastic race, but it's become just another GT3 race. Um, yeah. uh, and the involvement of SRO has clearly taken that race to a new level. But it's also, um, in some ways, dulled its interest to people like me Um, And I I accept I'm speaking personally here, and there may not be a whole other people, but there's a lot of things about Spa that make me not really that interested in it anymore. What Supercars and Nick Mimoli Bathurst 12 Hours have done have said, whilst they're quite happy to be part of the international GT series, which Stefan Rattel organisation runs, they still want to keep their own character uh, and yep. therefore, they haven't moved. And it was it was trailed. It was put out there. Shall we move to these regulations? Shall we embrace it completely? Uh, certainly, SRO wanted that for the obvious reasons. It's part of their their yep. championship. But this isn't their race, and it was never their race. They didn't create it. And and I think that was number one. I think it was quite brave for the the authorities uh, and the series at uh, or the organisers of the event. To, to, to see it. No, I think we'll, we'll stay on our own two feet for a little while. But I think it was the right idea.
7: Yeah, look, I think you need to – there's probably um, praise that needs to go both ways here because yeah, you bang on. And, and, and SRO definitely were keen to see the same set of sporting – and we're talking about sporting rigs here mm-hmm. – that were going to change the way that the race was, was run. Not massively, um, in
1: fairness, Creelzy. We talked no, about no. this.
7: Yeah, it wasn't going to do – I still don't think it was going to do an enormous amount to the way the race no. played out, just because of the intricacies of Mount Panorama and the way races go there. But anyway, that's another story. Um, but, and, and I understand that they wanted that. I understand they want consistency across the five Intercontinental GT Challenge races. If you're running a championship that's a global series, you want that. But at the same time, I wasn't understanding that this race is so unique to its local market – um, that you need to keep some unique aspects to it to make it work in that local market. I think it's unique um, to the, the world.
1: I think it's unique to the world yeah. of GT3 racing as well, Creelsey. In yeah, exactly, exactly right. In that respect, um, you know, in some ways it had a bigger international following than it had at home when it first First started, and in, the, and in the same yeah. way as the Le Mans 24 Hours doesn't run to exactly the same sporting regulations as the WEC, despite the fact that it's the final round of the WEC now, I don't see yeah. that there's any and promoted, promoted
7: by the same people. Yeah, exactly. exactly um, right. Yeah, look, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So, so supercars and and the Bathurst 12 Hour organisers floated the change of rules, put put out a press release, um, and the feedback we got from that was negative. So they put their hand up and said, no, do you know what? We're going to go back and we're going to go back to the way it was because that worked and that's what people were happy with. And SRO said, yep, we, absolutely. You've got to do that. It's your event. You need people to be happy. Go forth. Um, so they, they, they compromised. And that's – if there was more compromise like that in the motor racing world, oh. the whole sport might be in a much better place than yeah, it is man, now. Yeah, man. yeah, exactly. So – I think that's, that's just a, a unique factor. If the other thing that that gets me about the, the 12 hour, and I, I think what makes it work is that it's spa and, at, and at even other intercontinental rounds, although there was a little bit of it at Kyle army at the last round, which looked like a really cool event and, mm. and one that I'd actually quite like to get to this year. Um, here is it's so unique because our, yeah, yeah, I will. Absolutely. Um, Australia is such a, a local and isolated market that we rely on the household names that are primarily supercar drivers that are the most known motor racing personalities in the paddock. So the the equivalent of us parachuting a Craig Lowndes, a Shane Van Gisbergen, a Tim Slade, a Scott McLaughlin, whoever it might be, into the Bathurst 12-hour would be like a NASCAR driver jumping into – the Indianapolis eight hours intercontinental round that will happen later this year, Mm -hmm. um, which for the IGTC would be enormous. It's not going to happen, but it would be amazing. So our local market is so unique. Having said that, that, we've got Kurt Busch at uh, the Rolex, of course. Well, which is very, very cool. We've seen Dale Earnhardt. We've seen Jimmy Johnson and others have a crack at that as well, which is terrific. Um, You don't get that at Spa because what series do you drag people from? The only real – massive high profile that would that would move the needle would be a Formula 1 driver. And they're not going to do it because they're busy being Formula 1 drivers. So it's such a unique part of the Bathurst 12-hour in particular that you get that melting pot we talked about of the potential to put together a, a combination that includes Rick Kelly and Scott Dixon and Jake Dennis <laughs> in the same car and Lawrence Vanthor, Earl Bamber and Craig Lowndes. It just wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world And that's what makes this event unique. So even if down the road, and I I sound like I'm trying to defend something that hasn't even happened, and I'm not trying to do that. Even if down the road, it goes full GT3, whether it's by design or by natural evolution. Yeah. Correct. We've still got that completely unique selling point that will continue to make this race um, stand on its own two feet. And the other factor is, and I keep going back to it, is that there's no place like Mount Panorama. Great. And that utterly bonkers 6.2 k's of road, the hills a couple of hours outside of Sydney, remains a complete leveller for any motor race. So even if it did end up being a GD 3 race, and I'm on your program here, I'm, I want it to stay class racing because I like that, and it's good fun and it adds some more variables. The, the, the Bathurst factor still would play a role in making it unbelievably good.
1: We'll have another chat about this in a couple of weeks' time when we have uh, midweek motorsport in the ridiculously early hours uh, of the morning from the press, press room at, uh, at Mount Panorama. Uh, Got to finish off with one other point, which is uh, related to the race only in uh, in passing. Um, you guys have had a horrible time recently uh, around Australia. What's the situation? Mm. I saw that there was a bit of wet weather blew through over the weekend. Um, we... Got a bit of it in, in Dubai, believe it or not. But um, what's the situation with the fires? Uh, we're not... I mean, ultimately, if a motor race can't happen um, because of the fires, it's it's not that important. And there's people who have lost their homes and lost their lives. So let, I'm not yeah. trying at all to, to play that down. But there will be people who'll be wanting to know what the situation is.
7: Yep, definitely. And, and completely fair enough. So I, I uh, where, where I am in Adelaide, it's um, quite bone dry. But uh, having said that, we... We bought Asian town on the weekend and it started raining as they arrived. So uh, maybe bringing a motor race is actually a good thing to bring some precipitation. It was the same in Dubai. So there you go. Yep. Um, yeah, look, the, the situation is that, um, well, for starters, and, and I haven't checked what, what the weather's doing in the east today, but there was a big band of rain forecast to be through as we're speaking. Um, that could potentially be quite significant on exactly the areas where they need significant rain. So that's great. Um, Yeah, look, fire's still burning. um, People still under threat. Uh, It's been a remarkable couple of months being part of it. And even where I am, we've had fires within five or 10 kilometers of me um, that have all been controlled, but have been potentially quite serious. So it's, it's not just the East coast. Kangaroo Island, South of where I am in South Australia has been decimated and, Almost 50% of the entire place. And KI, it's about the same size as London. Um, so imagine 50% of that just disappearing under a wall of fire, and, and you get a kind of idea what it's been. The response has been unbelievably good, and uh, it, it continues, and the fundraising efforts have been great. We've had big bash cricketers saying they're going to pledge 500 bucks for every hit, uh, every six they hit, every wicket they take. Mm-hmm. Um, Shane Warne auctioned off his baggy green that he played in the ashes with and made a million dollars for Mm -hmm. doing so. Um, The fundraising's been phenomenal. Um, As we talk, the Bathurst 12 Hour is about to announce our response to it and there will be an announcement Friday morning Australian time. So tomorrow, Australian time. uh, What is it, Wednesday night there? So it'll be Thursday sometime in the UK uh, as to what we're planning for that. But it will involve our official charity, which is the Lions Club, who – have a disaster relief fund that yeah, they've set very up. Very
1: good, very good. So
7: we'll be, we'll be, we'll be backing that, and there will be ways and means for teams competing in the race to get involved. Now, whether that's by auctioning off some stuff, whether that's by donating money, whether that's by pledging a certain amount per lap they complete in the race, there are whole different ways that we're going to be able to do it. Uh, the other thing we're going to do, and, and we haven't formally announced it yet, but why not? We're um, we're going to make sure we back the um, back the firefighters in the uh, the RFA, which is or the RFS, which is the Regional Fire Service in New South Wales in particular, because New South Wales has just been absolutely smashed, and that's a region uh, very very close to Bathurst. Mm-hmm. So for the, for those unaware, when you're driving to Bathurst from Sydney, you go through a town called Lithgow. It's the last town before you get to Bathurst. It's about fifty minutes away. And Lithgow was singed on the edges Mm. um, and quite a few homes were under serious threat there. So it got got close for comfort and people in the region of the central west of New South Wales have been significantly influenced. So um, keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. We're we're going to be making sure we wrap our arms around those people for the event. And if the Bathurst 12-hour can be a weekend where they can come and sit trackside and enjoy some car racing and not think about putting out fires, then... That's a that's a win for everybody, and if we can raise some funds on the side, then that's going to be great.
1: Krelzy, brilliant as ever, mate. I'll see you in person in in a couple of weeks. Uh, I've got am bringing something for you, something that you can oh, really? really enjoy. Yeah,
7: you tease That's yeah. I'm I'm intrigued. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it's not I, the remainder <laughs> of the team, is it, that will be joining us on commentary? Because <laughs> I enjoy that regardless.
1: No, this is something for you particularly that I I snagged for you um, late last year that I knew you would not be able to get a hold of. So I'm going to bring something all the way around the world for you.
7: Nice. Well, it's on record now, so uh, if it doesn't arrive, I'll just replay this episode of MWMT.
1: All right, mate. All good. Thanks, Thanks. mate. Stay safe out there. Best to everybody. Cheers. Cheers.
2: Is it uh, something like Marmite or proper beer that they uh, don't get there? Neither. Mm.
1: Uh, That was recorded uh, early morning Creelsea's time on Tuesday. Adam is still with us. There's been a couple of other gaps filled in on the entry list. Let's rattle through them.
5: All right, so starting with Mercedes, because Crailsley did touch on that, SVG, Jamie Winkup, joined by Maxi Goats in one of the cars. Maxi Book is in a different one, sharing with Raffaele Marchiello and Felipe Fraga making his debut with mountain. Yelmer Berman, Mauro Angle, and Lucas Stoltz have their own car. And as for the AM entries, well, we've got Nick Foster and Anton Di Pasquale as the two drivers that Crailsley uh, hinted as joining the Shaheen's Kenny Habul is back with uh, Berman Bauman once again. Martin Conrad and David Reynolds are going to be in their own Mercedes. So there's five cars right there to try and cheer for. During the show, we've actually had an announcement from Ferrari that their car will be driven by Tim Slade, Marco Gomez, and Daniel Serra. So that's going to be a stunning lineup. Porsche formalized the announcement late last night. David Calvert-Jones joined by Jackson Evans and Roman Dumas. and for the Lamborghini, we're getting a professional effort. Team owner Andrea Caldarelli driving alongside Dennis Lind, one of the drivers in your race of the year last year, John. Barcelona 24 hours, one of the winners. And Marco Mapelli sharing that car. We wait to find out who's going to be in the two walking horse BMWs, the 59 racing McLaren and both of the KCMG Nissans.
1: And, of course, we'll have full live coverage of that, all the sessions uh, and much of the weekend in sound and vision as well. For those of you asking about more Creelzy on Radio Show Limited, we're working very hard for that. And uh, we've got something hopefully to talk about in a couple of weeks' time with Creelzy that will get more of his dulcet tones on the radio here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. Next week, we're at Daytona. Thanks to all of our guests tonight. Keep the tweets coming in, and we'll check them out and uh, run through them next week, particularly for the Birmingham wheels piece. Thanks to our Bentley drivers this evening, Jordan and Seb, and to our usual contributors. Tim Gray was up in London, and our executive producer, The Responsible Adult, was everywhere. I'm John Hindhoff. And the llama, well, the llama's a nice shade of green this week.
0: This programme is a Radio Show Limited production.
5: Tell your friends there's more at radiolemon.com.